This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. The Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Uh, I'm Dale Jr. My co-host Mike Davis. What's up, bud? How's it going? Schultz is here. Leah is in the house as well. We got a great guest coming on the show. Some of you are going to know Bentley Warren. Maybe some of you don't. In my opinion, he's one of the greatest to ever drive a race car. Uh, made most of his work up in uh, the Northeast racing super modifieds, but he's got an amazing story that goes all the way to Indy. Uh, we're excited to have him in the studio. Should be a great show. So let's get started. All right, so um, I tried to give, um, I tried to get a hug from Isla before she was getting out of the car to go to school. She wouldn't give me one, so I had to try to explain to her what hugs are and why you give them. That's right. And I gave her one, and I said, "Did that make you feel better?" She said, "No." Oh, <laughs> I said, "Well, why? Wow, oh. well, I got to figure out why my hug didn't work." She's just not even interested. Hey, listen, no, no lie. When your kid doesn't hug you, that that does uh, that does kick you in the pants. Mm. Too they grown don't, up. They don't know. And then you wait for them to, you know, for it to snap in. Wife posted a picture of or a video of Isla getting her birthday gift. Turned three the other day. She yes. Posted a video on social media. Yes, she did. We watched it about twenty Shoo times. Boy. It took off. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, NASCAR and NBC re re uh, posted it, and uh, I was getting text messages from even Dan Patrick. Really? Yes. <laughs> so um, stuff like I'm nervous to post stuff like that. Because I don't want to be too. Hey, look at us! You know, look at our amazing life. But um, <laughs> and, I, and Amy says, "Hey, you know, why don't you post it?" I'm like, "Well, my account's a little different than yours. Yours is more personal. Totally cool. Go post it, mm-hmm. right? You feel me? Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. To yeah, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyways, I guess you know everybody kind of wants to know how she liked it, right? Obviously, the video appears like she loved it right off the bat. Which I would just can we say before how she liked it? I just want to say we had this conversation here last week, and yeah. you drew big distinction between a go kart <laughs> and a race car. It was not a race car because it didn't have decals on it. However, well, it as came, we saw it, it came with decals. I couldn't it, take them off. So and a flag. Yeah, yeah. And she did want to go straight to the race. Straight to the race. <laughs> yeah. That pretty, was the best part. She's pretty clever. So I was. Uh, I w- I don't know. Uh, she doesn't know how to steer. All right, she knows her left hand from her right hand. She knows her left foot from her right foot, so I can tell her to go left, go right. But she doesn't know that the wheel will do that for her. She hasn't connected all that yet. And that'll come uh, in 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 short period of time. So funny thing. Uh, she hops on it, and we have – She this is her first electric vehicle, right? These mm-hmm. are kind of common for kids. Uh, at some points, you know – they're going to get an electric vehicle, right? Mash a little gas and go. I was surprised that she knew how to mash the gas, to be honest with you. you we've had some went off. We've had some electric vehicles like hand-me-downs, right, from from Kelly that were Wyatt's okay. or, That's or where she TJ Majors give us one or whatever, right? So we've had a couple, and, and some friends have sent us some some stuff. But she, she'll mash the button and go like, and it'll go, and she'll stop, right? She just – she doesn't understand the, like – she doesn't – Think in her head, like, I want to drive over there, mm-hmm. so I'll mash it and go over there. Right. She just hits the button and goes a little bit and, and looks at you and goes, hey. Uh, you know, it, How'd I do? It, it went somewhere. <laughs> it needed the button. So 
she uh she would hit the button for a couple seconds and let off and a couple seconds let off a couple and I'm like all right you know if you you know you want to drive over there let's go, just follow me and she'll follow me so she finally got it going but she couldn't for, she couldn't put it together like to follow me she had to turn the wheel if I walked over to the left or to the right she would need to steer to go that way and as it would she would just keep going straight and as it's headed toward the grass she starts going dad dad ah uh, no it, uh, you know, I don't like it. I want off. That's it. Yeah. She, she, and it would drive into the grass, and she would get upset and want off. Mm. And I'd be like, hey, it's okay. Drive it out of the grass. Here, turn the wheel. Just drive it out. Nope. I'm nope. off. Sounds to me Take, she's a drag racer. I'm done. Sounds to me like that, uh, you know, yeah. she, she's just going to go straight just for four seconds at a time. Well, yeah. she originally asked if it was a tractor, and I think, yeah, I can totally, totally get on board with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, Maybe she's a farmer. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, we, we got a long way to go. Uh, before she figures out kind of how that thing works and how to use it right, but uh, so you haven't exactly booked time at Millbridge yet for a test. As soon as she wanted off after that, shortly after the end of that video that everybody saw, well, she hasn't been on it since. Oh, really? No, I am. It's it's not like I'm. Hey, come on, let's go, let's go, let's figure it out, let's let's go. You kind of want to? Mm-mm. Not even a little bit. It's plenty of time, man. She's three. It didn't bug you a little bit that she just wouldn't grasp the the, the steering. All right, good for you. My expectations weren't – I didn't have any. That's that's okay. I yeah. think you did, though. She's, but but that's understandable. Yeah, I mean, she's real good on a scooter, and she knows how to get the scooter to go where she wants it to go so she can go around the – you know, we have a little old – we have this paved racetrack we used to race go-karts on. So she knows how to use the scooter to to do that, but she hasn't quite figured out what the steering wheel gotcha. does. But um, it'll happen. It'll come in time, and I don't – I'm. We tend to buy her gifts that are just a little bit too advanced. Like you know, my my sister bought her the cardboard fort thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It comes in a box. It's just square sheets of cardboard, and you piece them together to make a fort. It's real simple and cheap. And I mean, if I was a five, six, seven, eight year old kid, it'd be amazing. It'd be a lot of fun, right? And uh, I get it out, and we're playing with it, and she just doesn't. She she's like. You know, she understands what it is, but it ain't like the coolest thing she's ever seen. What is the coolest thing she's ever seen? Well, what is her go-to toy? <laughs> so I would I built this fort in the hall, one big center main room and two tunnels, right? So you could access it either way. Put this whole thing together. And she piddled with it for, she went in there and sat in there and looked around and went, hey, I like it. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> and then didn't fool with it the rest of the day. Did the flute show up? Yes. How's she liking she that? I I have not given it to her yet. <laughs> I forgot to give it to her. You know, the key to... I think re- Amy might have hit it. The key to really appreciating a gift is to get the gift. I know, but I told Amy that I was getting her a flute, and she Amy was not happy about it. So maybe Amy hit it. And Between I, the race out of car, sight, out of mind. The race car and the flute. Yeah, you definitely were going uh, uh, with some ballsy gifts Look, there. Look, I do whatever... I, she saw... She was... She handed me this little wooden... Uh, tube that was a part of another toy and she's playing it like a flute and i'm like do you like you want a flute are you playing a flute and she goes yeah i playing a flute yes i am and i'm like well you want a real flute and she goes yeah so i went on amazon and got her a 11 dollar flute you know and so <laughs> that that's easy for me to do i don't you know <laughs> are you gonna give it to her <laughs> i will give it to her god <laughs> so um we bought a well, i got a bouncy house she likes bouncy houses She'll put some time into that. Yeah. Yeah. I got her pretty, I got her a neat one. They're cheap too. 
I thought. This. I mean, cost about it. I bought it for what about I think one would be cost to rent. For you to call it cheap, that's something because you are cheap by by nature. It was six hundred bucks. Oh, I thought that would have been way more. And than it's what twelve you were by twelve spend. foot. I thought it was pretty that's, good. That's price. nice. Yeah, that's nice. And it la- and I'll tell you this, it lasted the entire day with ten kids pounding on it yeah. constantly for hours. Yeah, right, and it's still working. Feel good about that investment. Put the bouncy house at a 90-degree angle and tell her the only way she can get there to the bouncy house is if she drives to it. No. She'll be steering that thing, oh, boy, all the way. You'll see Flair's Earnhardt just coming out of her. <laughs> well, she. It was, a fun, uh, it was a fun day. We had a little birthday party outside. Everything went well. We had some ice cream cake. Is that not the best way to do cake? I mean, I do love a, a good birthday cake. Uh, my favorite is um, Red Velvet. Oh. I'm a big Red Velvet fan. Really? Yeah. Y'all like Red Velvet cake? It just feels like a wedding no. cake to me. Really? Doesn't it? I, it's kind of no. an any day cake for me. Okay. <laughs> um, ice cream cake, though, is pretty damn good. Well, Especially when it comes right out of the freezer. It's hard. Yeah. Good and cold. But it has a, it has a, a quick lifespan, so you, no. you better be eating it. Better be get t- getting after it. You just get it out and give it to people and put it back in the refrigerator or freezer. Yeah, yeah. put yeah. it back in the refrigerator. See how that works out for freezer. you. <laughs> freezer. I corrected myself. Guys, don't forget Mother's Day is Sunday. Whoa, Gosh, yes. is yeah. it? Yes. Don't forget. I got it on my calendar. What do y'all do for Mother's Day? I mean, I know, like I'm being married, and and or whether you got a girlfriend or a wife, I kind of know what to do there. What's new to me is that I'm also responsible for making sure that the kids oh, gosh. have an impact on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Help me. Help me. Like what, what, do, what do my kids need to be doing well, to make mom proud? Is it like a – do we need to make a, a – per, do, do we handcraft? Yeah, like a homemade card. Homemade card. Yeah. Yeah, that's always a good one. Yeah. Especially that's for what they kids your age, like yeah. that's a fun that's a fun project that you can do and and um, for sure homemade. Yeah. yeah all, right. Do, well, all right. What are you going to do? I, I, well, I, I, I that's one ideas. thing I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. But what are you going to do from you? What my wife likes the what uh, are those flowers? They on a stem. They got to get, get them at the grocery store. They got a stick and they go up and they get one little flower hanging off. What do you call them? Oh, what are those? Two. Uh, no. She likes them. Does she? Yeah. I can go to the store and get them very easy. She likes them. Um, my, the problem is my wife doesn't like flowers or jewelry. Good. Sounds sounds like amazing. Orchids? Amazing is wife. Is that what they are, Dale? Orchids? Orchids. See, if I got an orchid, she'd, turn, she'd, she'd go, did you keep the receipt? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, it'd be fun if we could get some good ideas on. Social campaign. Yeah. Leah, let's say, you know. Don't tell her. Don't tell them why you're asking. Just ask them <laughs> for a friend. What's ask a for good, a friend. good asking Mother's Day gift? All right, we'll see what we got on, on a budget. <laughs> All right, so, um, so Mike, did your favorite NFL team draft the player that you hope they did draft you? My favorite college team. No, got wait, a bunch wait, wait, of no, players no, no. We're talking drafted. NFL. We're talking the NFL, Mike. I don't have a favorite NFL. Whoa, team. whoa, whoa, whoa! You don't have a favorite. Mm-hmm. Well, you know my favorite. I know Washington, Washington football team. team. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of great players that we drafted. I'm excited. Uh, one particular player, I guess the first round player, Jamin Davis, played for uh, Kentucky, linebacker. 
That's who they drafted in the first round. So Jamin is a big NASCAR fan. Okay. Jimmy Johnson fan. Uh, his whole family uh, into NASCAR. I think his sister was a fan of, of mine, apparently, going by the uh, information I'm, I'm reading on the internet. Um, but uh, so the whole household was into NASCAR, and he wanted to become a driver. Uh, still does. Still, still, you know, has this belief uh, that that man. I I, I want to figure it out. I want to mm. I want to learn what I want to learn what it's about. You know, but his life is all about football right now. He is a uh, new player for Washington. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I was like, you know, watching the draft, big fan of Washington, uh, liking everything that's going on, hearting all the tweets and doing all the stuff, and uh, come across the information about him being a NASCAR fan. I'm like, that's great. Uh, and he's a Jimmy Johnson fan, even better. So um, Coach. Ron Rivera? Yeah, Ron. Coach Ron Rivera texts me. And he said, uh, hey, man, you mind calling him? He'd be thrilled to hear from you. Whoa, whoa. Absolutely. What? Sends me his number and his name and stepped outside, gave him a ring, said, hey, bud. How many days after the draft was this? The next day. Holy oh crap. What are you talking about? Are yeah. you serious? Really cool. How about that? I got to talk to him, uh, tell him how big a fan I am of the team, how excited I am about him being a part of it. <laughs> and if he, ever, you know, obviously, if he ever wanted to come out uh, to a race, I, ha- I wasn't sure if he'd, he'd been to races before. But if he wanted to, you know, go to any race, he'd be uh, he'd be taken care of. And and I'm excited for him to have the opportunity to at some point meet Jimmy. Jimmy was engaging on social media as well, so Jimmy's aware. Mm. Uh, so that's a real possibility. He's excited about the opportunity to meet Jimmy. Jimmy wants to get him to an indie race. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not really what he uh It's not his thing. <laughs> not yet. But um anyhow, man, I was that was really cool. Every once in a while something like that kind of weird happens. This is you know, the perks of being drafted yes. by Washington. Wait, oh, the perks of being Well, you get to, you know, a, you know, a fan Ron, of the Ron, team. Ron Rivera just calls yeah. up his uh, his buddies, says, yeah. Hey, do me a solid, talk to this guy. Yeah. It came Welcome. out of came out of nowhere. It was awesome. I made didn't my, know you and Ron Rivera were made friends. My well, so, being, you know, being a fan of the team for so long, me and Dan Snyder have been in contact for mm-hmm. uh, many years, and uh, we give each other a hard time every once in a while about what's going on. You do? Oh yeah, I tell him I shoot straight. You tell him when when things aren't right. Well, I have been honest with him. I'll wow. say that I haven't I haven't sugarcoated. Not like oh man, we're losing. I want a Super Bowl, but you know, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I want a Super Bowl. Yeah. Make that happen. Hey, well, I got a question then. Is Washington actually going to come up with a new I'll nickname? I'll tell you what. I went at, I text him. I, te- I don't know. I text him uh, I mean, years ago. I said, change the name. You did? Yeah. He's like, no. I was like, come on, man. I don't know who you're holding out for. Right. You know? You're making it hard on us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're holding out for people like me, like the, the you know, <laughs> all the diehard fans, you think this is really – what we want you to do, this no, just let's go ahead and get on down the road. You told him it's okay to let go. Yeah, <laughs> and then he was like, "No," but uh, he uh, so he shared with me. Um, I guess when they hired Ron, we were me and him were communicating a little bit, and he sent his number to me, and I was able to uh, reach out and say, "Man, slowly pump, looking forward to how you shape the team and all that stuff." So I'm looking up this Jamin Davis. Yep. See what we got here. Well, everybody's excited about him. Anyhow. Obviously, this week at Darlington is throwback weekend. We're going to go down there with the Nova and pace the field before the Xfinity race, and that should be a ton of fun. And uh, I'm going to drive around there. Hope everybody loves to see it. And I'm going to, yeah, I'm taking me, my 
Uncle Danny, Dad's brother, LW. LW is kind of our lead mechanic. <laughs> um, and then uh, the guy who basically helped put this thing whole, all back together, Robert G. Jr. That's right. Uh, Robert built, worked, and built on built the car when it was brand new back in the eighties, and um, he uh, he put it back together today. So and was helped the one that helped authenticate it uh, when you bought it. Yeah, I mean he's <laughs> been he's been part of this car's existence all the way through its entire life. So all four of us are going to drive down there, or yeah, drive down there on Saturday morning early, get in the pits. We're going to get the car positioned over on the front straightaway, and uh, just wait. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, good luck to you. Hopefully, the weather's not too hot and, um, hopefully, it's a comfortable day. And, uh, the car is getting carried down there in one of our haulers. So, we won't have to, I won't have to tow the car down there, which is kind of a nice convenience. Nice. I was, yeah. I, in my mind, I was towing it down there all the time in a, in a gooseneck or something like that. But I'll be glad not to have to worry about that. Yeah. That'd be anxiety right there. Sure. You already got enough of that just, yeah. just with the, uh, so we're going to ride, lines. we're actually going to ride down in the suburban. And Mike, I've tasked you to maybe, uh, cam, you know, put some GoPros and stuff in there and we'll create some content and see if we can get Robert Jr. telling some stories. <laughs> see if we can get between Danny Sr. and Robert Jr. to see if we can get more than 10 words out of each of them. For sure. We'll see. <laughs> but it should be a fun day. Um, and uh, it's kind of like, a, you know, the the bookend of restoring this car. Yeah. Once it does this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to maybe get an opportunity to showcase it at the Hall of Fame when that opportunity arises, which I'm sure it will down the road. But otherwise, we'll just uh, we'll have it here at the shop. It looks good. I, if it never leaves, uh, if it comes back here and never leaves this window, it'd be fine by me. It's a good looking car. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system, and there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Oh, hey guys, Bentley Warren's here. There he is. Let's bring him in. Oh, look at this. <laughs> look at this. What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> good, good. Oh, Bentley Warren is at the Dale Jr. Download, Dirty Mo Media Studios. Looks like you rode your bike in to town. Yeah, I got it here. Yeah. yeah? Yeah. Put that mic there. Cl- or you can uh, bend it towards you there. Bend it around. Anywhere you do want. whatever you want to do. <laughs> Just muscle it. So, Bentley, <laughs> you live up in Maine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, what are you doing what are you doing cruising through uh, North Carolina? Well, we're in Florida for a couple of weeks. We went up to Maine weekend before last for opening weekend. Opening weekend for what? For the saloon. Yep. 
and uh, that was fun. It was packed, and people had fun. We had fun, and uh, then we flew back down. Lisa and I flew down to go to the uh, to go back to the, get the camper. And uh, what was the camper doing in Florida? I was getting repaired. Yeah. Well, just getting some you know updates and stuff. You know how campers are. Sure. <laughs> They yeah. always need something. Yeah. TLC. That's right. Well, he's calls a camper, by the way. It's a motorhome. It's not a camper. Yeah. We're talking about, it's a Prevo, right? Yeah. Yeah. How long have you had that? Uh, this one's new about a year ago. Okay. Wow. You know. What have you been doing with your time? What are you doing these days? Um, riding motorcycles, having fun, meeting people, doing <laughs> the same thing I've done for 80 years. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you riding your motorcycle? Uh, we were in California, so we ride out there every day because it's such good weather. We go to uh, Mexico and... Here, there, and everywhere. You fly all the way out there and jump on your bike? Or no. Or you take, ride it all the way out we, there? We take the camper out. Okay. And I got the bike on the back of the camper. You're traveling a lot. Yep. I, Man. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And you're just traveling. You don't have an itinerary. You don't have any place to go. You're just going. Is that right? Kind of. I mean, is, are there races? Or are there events? Are there things that you're being? Are you just going? Just going. This just is the life fun. you live. Yep. So I, got a, I got a big nose, so I get on my motorcycle, follow my nose. <laughs> <laughs> so Bentley Warren, seven-time Oswego Speedway champion, uh, four-time ISMA champion, two-time Little 500 winner, two-time Indy 500 qualifier, and you're in the Super Modified Hall of Fame. You won the Classic. Me and, me and Mike were arguing about how many times. How many times? I think it's six, six or seven. I, I thought know. it was seven. Mike said six. But the first time you won it was in 69. Yeah. And then the last time you won it was in 98. I think so. Right? Yeah. I want to talk about that. So <laughs> I got a friend of mine who he owns a car that uh, owns a super modified. He's friends with uh, Tony Stewart, and uh, they make they they grow some sort of – they grow something, I don't know, down in – they grow Tom- tomatoes, tomatoes. Tomatoes, I think. Yeah. And so this guy, and they they I think you know who I'm talking about. But anyways, this particular person was giving me videos, CD, uh, DVDs of the Oswego Classic every year over the uh, you know, over the last 5 or 10 years and he gave me this book. All right, this book right here is uh is the uh history of the International Classic at Oswego. Uh, and it's the last, it's 50 years, from 1957 to 2006. And so I kept this on my bus over the last probably four or five years of my cup racing career. And I read every page. And I read this book probably three times uh, <laughs> sitting on the toilet. <laughs> and so that's how I learned about you. Is who, I was like, so I'm reading about Nolan Swift, right, who was amazing. And uh, Nolan was before you. You raced against him though, but he yes, came I in. Did. He came into. He was he was a little bit older than you. But then you come in and win in '69, and then I'm reading through the book. Uh, you know, and you come back and you win some more, and you win, and then you you won the race in '98. And I don't even know what age, but that's the, the span of time from '69 '98. It's just amazing that you could. And this is the the super modified is a very. I've never drove one, but it's an extremely intimidating car. Uh, maybe not for you. We'll but, have to get you riding one. Well, you'll, you'll love it. <laughs> it's it's to me. It comes across, or the impression that it gives me is that it's a very intimidating car. It's very physical, and it's super fast. And to win and do well in that race, you've got to be brave and very very smart. And you were able to do this in such from from sixty nine to ninety eight. You know, to be able to, in the technology of the cars, the pictures and looking at the cars and how they change from 69 to 98, a lot of guys, a lot of drivers don't adapt 
as the cars change, right? They don't, they can't, they can't plug into the newer technology, and the car gets the car gets more and more foreign to them, and the younger guys come in and just kind of take over. And uh, but you were able to keep winning, and it just you're a, you're you, you're very rare and unique in that you know aspect. So that was something that made me really really admire you. So I want to talk about that. So. You've, you've done so much more outside of just the classic, but that's really how I learned who you were. So let's start there. Do you remember the 69 win? Yeah, I do. So, so it was something that was really amazing. Tell, that was my big, big, that was a highlight of my life up until that time. Why so? Just to win that against like uh, Nolan Swift and, you know, some of the people, Gordon Johncock had been there. Mm. And I'd seen a lot of these guys, Sammy Sessions, they were all great drivers and they drove. Indy cars and you know they just went all over the place and it was just like oh my god I think I might win this you know yeah. and we had I think we had quick time a second quick time and so Johnny, you had a good car oh a very good car and the guy that owned it, Howard Purdy just passed but uh, just a fantastic mechanic and a he was an organizer businessman and uh, that's what it takes to do well in the, in those divisions yeah and so you you had a really good car you go out there and you win in '69. You ran for different drivers for many years, right? But as if I remember correctly, by time you win, by by the time you win this race in 1998, you're basically just walking into the track with your suit and your helmet and and jumping in anybody's car, right? Kind of. A, Jeff West uh, called me up and asked me if I wanted to drive his car, and I said, "Nah, I don't think I'll go with this year." Why? I just because we had a little bit of a spat with us. We go about we we had quit racing. I was driving Paul Dungan's car. We're a pound light or heavy in the left on the left side and we just thought that was kind of technical so we just got bit off our nose to spite our face and stopped running for a few <laughs> years and then uh, Jeff West called me up and asked me if I wanted to run his car and I said nah I don't think so then I called him up at the last minute I said is that ride still open he said let me see if I can you know get you in the car so he got me in the car and I rode my motorcycle out there and we won the race I re- and, but he made the car good for me too right and it wasn't the fastest car but again like you you were smart, and if I remember that race correctly, you just outlasted everybody. And and by the end of the race, you had plenty of pace, but you weren't uh, you probably weren't you weren't the fastest car at the start of the race. You just took care of everything and ended up getting the win. And then you at the end of the race, you you had you know you celebrate and then you hop on your bike and rode on out of town. Yeah, <laughs> it was like this. Out of a movie scene, <laughs> he is out of a movie scene. I'm I'm convinced of it. He, this guy's a character because uh, you know he. When you say he celebrates, he knows how to do that. You know how to celebrate just <laughs> as well as you know how to race. But uh, you're also very humble. I can't help but wonder. We're talking about this cl- the classic at Oswego. Oswego was your track, so to hear that you had a spat with Oswego is somewhat interesting to me. But for for those of us, have you ever been to Oswego? I'm sure not, right? For those of us who've never been to Oswego, describe that place first of all, so we can kind of qualify in our heads what we're what we're dealing with when we talk about the classic and and what is it about Oswego Speedway that is so remarkable well to me it was it was the name of the track and uh and all the people that raced there and then the first time I went out there with our own race car I think it was 64 and we put a supercharger on the car we thought would be you know killers out there and really go well and I walked through the gate and I looked at these steel walls and I looked at the straightaways it looked like I looked at the fourth, third turn our fourth turn, and then I looked down to the first turn. I'm like, "Holy crap! This place is wicked long. You know, <laughs> that's longer than any track I've ever been on, except for Thompson 
and uh, we went out there and we went we ran good, but I mean we had we blew up I don't know we lost a clutch or something like that and hit the fence because I was trying to go too fast and wrecked the car and rebuilt it that night and went back out and that's when we lost the clutch. But it was so intimidating, and then to you know hear of all the drivers that had had won out there and guys that had been hurt and killed and stuff like that. It just kind of scared you a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, wow, this place is wicked fast, and it was. So it had steel walls, like boilerplate. Inside and outside. The, yeah. out, the outside was about a maybe eight-foot, nine-foot wall, and then That's the tall. inside had about a three-foot wall. So when you hit and it was backed up by dirt on the inside, on the infield. You ran right against it in turn one and two and three and four, right on the fence. Yeah. yeah. Right on the inside just, wall. I'd, I'd touch it. I, had a, I used to have white wall tires on both sides. <laughs> 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 Left rear and right rear were always white wall. What happened? I said I was going too fast. I was touching the fence. So sometimes um, the super mods will run wingless. Um, what's the difference when you strap the wing on one of them things? It's it's like night and day. It's uh, The cars are you know, about a second quicker with the wing. Yeah. And uh, when you first put the wing on, you just go into the corner where you usually let off. And you just leave your foot in it. It's like, wow, is this thing going to turn? And you can feel that. You can feel the wheels. You can see the tires like doing this on the front because the the G's are pushing the car out, but the tires are staying to the left. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's insane. Wow. Okay, so we we always love to ask this question because Oswego is such. You're synonymous with Oswego, and so I know that we're going to come back to Oswego and talk about the classics and everything. Little 500s you won. Throw it back to the beginning. Tell us about your roots. I want to hear about your 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 dad, your mom, siblings, and where you're from. Um, they were from uh, actually Williamstown, Mass. My father was a graduate of Williams College, and he was an investment banker. And he used to like to have his tea, his tea like <laughs> like the beer or the whiskey or whatever yeah. it may be. He was a hot ticket though, and a great great guy. And he had more friends. Uh, everybody admired him. He was a great great guy. What was his name? Bentley Wirt, Bentley Wirt Warren. Okay. Junior. And yep. my, my grandfather was, I'm the third. You're the third. Yep. They call me the turd. Bentley the turd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So how do you explain, grow? how do you explain becoming who you are and the outlaw that you are, in a sense, and your father's character being so completely different? Well, he, my father loved cars. He was into antique cars. He had Rolls Royces and Model Ts and all kinds of cars, and he taught me how to drive when I was probably six or seven. Mm-hmm. You know, piled, telephone books piled up in his little car, and I'd drive around the field, and I had a motorcycle when I was seven or eight. Uh, we have a video of me riding. I'm a little squirting. I'm riding this big guy on the back of the motorcycle in the field. and, and it was I think I was eight years old or seven wow. years old. It was cool. But he loved cars. He loved, and as far as my racing went, he followed me. We we raced in Argentina. We were, you know when I was running the Indy cars. Yeah, and he went down there, and I, I burned up there, but he was there. And so uh, your dad supported your racing right working, out of the gate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because when I was fourteen, I built my first car. What kind of car? It was a uh, jalopy. What they call the jalopy mm-hmm. it was a thirty-six Ford, I think, or thirty-five Ford. Where'd you and, race it? Uh, Pine Speedway and just Pine Speedway. Yeah. We used to bring it up on a trailer on a on a boat trailer. And then I had a junkyard guy that used to put in the back of his dump truck. <laughs> and it was cool. Yeah. You mentioned Argentina. Um, I know we're, we're going to jump ahead and then jump back. Oh, yeah, because there's a story everywhere. How did you go? What are you doing in Argentina? Well, the IndyCars went to Argentina. Yeah. I was driving for Tassie Vadis. And all the IndyCars went down there. Did you feel like, did you get there and go like, how did I get here? What am I doing here? 
No, that was when I went to Indy. When I when I when walked through Gasoline Alley, you were plugged in. I was like, I saw Gasoline Alley, and I'm like, yeah, oh but, my god, I can't believe I'm so here. Had you traveled outside of the states before Argentina and before Never. that? So I know, but like, were you not standing in Argentina going, "This is different"? Oh yeah, it was different. I mean, I know was, when I go out of the country, I still trip out. Yeah, right? it was. It was like, holy <laughs> crap! You know, it was. It was. It was fun. Wow. You said you got burned up. Uh, yeah, we we were running really really well, and uh, I just saw something Robin Miller did about I can't remember what it was, but it was kind of cool, you know, pumping my head up a little bit yeah. when I saw the oh, video. Oh yeah, his his uh, tough guys video. Yeah, I think it was, and something about hitting the fly. Well, I was running really really well in Argentina, mm-hmm. and I think I was passing second place or something, Lloyd Ruby, and uh, somebody had lost some oil up high, and I was up high and hit the oil. Backed in the or hit the fence, backed into the fence, and the car kind of blew up on fire. <laughs> and my father, uh, Jerry Cox, a guy that was working on the on the crew, my father was standing with him, and the car blew up. And Jerry said, "Oh my God!" He said, "I you know saw this guy killed and this guy killed." And my father, just cool as can be, he said, "It's just an accident. If he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't." He Whoa! Was, he was just you know, and Jerry couldn't you know he never forgot sure. that. Sure. And uh, it was just, you know, really... Did you I, get any burns? Yeah, I was in the hospital for a couple of nights. In, a, in Argentina? Yeah. And How they, was that? It was a Catholic hospital, and all these nuns were in there, really nice people. Yeah. And they said, you have to drink a lot of liquids. And I had my hands tied up like, you know, they're all bandaged, and they're up in the air and all that stuff. And uh, I said, oh, mucho cerveza. <laughs> <laughs> so they brought me in a big gallon of beer, and I drank that. Really? <laughs> They let you in have the, beer? Yeah, in the hospital. It's not very hydrating. <laughs> oh, what doctor so is that? So did you have to do all the scrubs and all that with the burns, or they just healed? No, well, I, I, I got heal. a couple little skin grafts. And did I, you? I had one finger that was bad, and I went to Mass General, and I was going to Phoenix, Arizona for the first IndyCar race. That was my first year at in the IndyCar races, I think. And... Uh, I remember I went down there and I had to shake hands with the doctor and he squeezed the heck out of my hand uh, to make sure that it didn't hurt. And I just, yeah, it's fine. You know, how yeah. you doing? But it was hurting like a son of a gun. But I went to Mass General and they, uh, you know, he had to clean. I had my hands tied up in bed every night. I tied them up because the higher they are, the quicker they heal and yeah. all that stuff. And uh, they looked kind of gross. And one finger was bad. I didn't know that about the height. Because yeah. I remember when I had my burns on my leg, I had this one. Like when you... If you have a burn and you put it low, it's super painful. Yeah. You know that? You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like I felt like the my felt like my thigh was gonna come out of my leg. It it's hurts wicked. so damn bad. But burns are wicked. I They're wish, terrible. So I had to always let uh like lay I had to get underneath my thigh and yeah. have it higher yeah. than anything else. Yeah. That's it where helps. I was most comfortable. Well it pumps the blood, it pumps fresh blood through and it makes it heal better, I guess. Interesting. And I when I went to Mass General, I told the doctor it was this finger, and it was like all pussy and screwed up. I said, "Well, can't you just cut it off and sew the sew the skin together?" Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. He was kind of funny, you know, not wanting to do it. Oh, <laughs> Is gosh. it true? I've heard a rumor. Is it true that they at one time, not in Argentina, probably America, they wanted to amputate a leg, but you told them not to because it's your gas leg? It, no, I just I told them not to because I said I don't think you need to. Oh, and so that, not because that's your yeah. Gas. No. <laughs> what was the circumstances? I uh, I got hurt in a sprint car in Toledo. And uh, I just I got hot. It got burnt by hot oil, and it burnt my leg. I broke my legs and broke my feet, and they wanted to cut my foot off because the doctor thought gangrene would set in because he thought it was gas that burnt it, and it was hot oil. And uh, 
Mary Purdy, Howard Purdy's wife, was a nurse or something, and she was in the hospital, and Howard was in the hospital with me. And uh, she kind of talked the doctors out of doing it, too. Man, were you awake enough? Ain't you glad you were awake enough to tell them? Oh, I, they wanted to give me morphine or something because the pain was wicked. I mean, yeah. I you know, I had skin grafts. I was in there for a long time in the Golly. hospital. And uh, the doctor came in with a hacksaw <laughs> about two feet long. He's in the room with it. He's gonna, he said, we got to amputate that foot now. And I said, no, no, don't do that. I said, get another doctor to look at it. And I Jeez. remember another doctor came in later on that night and said, no, this will peel up even it was a long time healing. But. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Let, let me tell you a story about this guy. Last night we're talking, okay? I'm, t- I'm talking to Dale, everybody. So uh, I, I'm talking to Bentley, and and uh, we're talking about some race at some racetrack or whatever, and I say, didn't you get in a wreck there? Didn't you get hurt there? And he, and he goes, no, no, that that wasn't the one I got hurt at. That I was only in the hospital for three weeks for that one. Yeah. Oh. And I was just like, well, this guy's crazy. <laughs> this guy's crazy. I mean, so you've had the injuries mount up now. Do you still feel them? Nah. They said, when I, they told me when I was about 30, they told me when I was 40, I wouldn't even walk. Right. And I, I've been skiing, walking, riding my motorcycle, and still doing all the things that everybody else does. So I guess <laughs> they have the, to eat the words. When's the last time you was behind the wheel of a race car? It was in... Um, well, I, I drove, you know, an exhibition thing in uh, Oswego. When? In the 40, uh, last year, hmm. in the 44 car, how or fast, the year before. How fast did you go? Not very fast. Yeah. When's <laughs> the last time you went fast? Uh, at um, Oxford Plains Speedway in a Super in one of uh, Chris Purley's backup cars, and that was the last official race I what ran. What year? Yeah, I, I can't remember. It was probably seven, eight years ago. Man, it's not too long ago. No. Yeah, I It was figured. probably 70-something, I Golly. guess. Golly. There's like, you could count them on one hand, maybe two hands, of the amount of people that can drive a race car competitively, regardless of their age. You know? Right. And, and I don't expect you to be able to explain to me, you know, why <laughs> you can do that, um, because I don't know if anybody really knows why, but because I've always been kind of fascinated by, you know, when I was thinking about retiring from cup racing, I looked at everybody's ages of like guys that retired like Dale Jarrett and Bobby Labonte and other people. And, you know, they, people retire for different reasons, hurt or they just don't want to do it anymore or they just aren't competitive or they get forced out. But it seemed to always kind of fall right around this same age. Around 43, the tide sort of turns for everybody a little bit. Most people, like there's an 80% chance that the numbers drop, the top fives, the top tens. Right around that 43-year-old, 43-year age. And there's only a couple people that can go beyond that. You know, Harry Gant was one, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bobby Allison, I thought, was a guy that could that, – that just still had that grit. It's a grit. There's a bit of a – there's some grit there. Uh, there's like uh, you got to have the passion, uh, the love. And a w- a wicked it. desire. Yeah. I think it's just got to be a wicked desire. Yeah. And when you lose that, it, you lose that fire to push every lap, every corner, right? To, to yeah. just push yourself into those situations that are uncomfortable, you know? It's just amazing to me uh, to be able to meet people and talk to people that, can, that, that are unique in that way. What would you even consider your prime? I, don't, I, I went good for a lot of years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Partially when I was younger, it was either first offense because I was too numb to, you know. No. First offense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First offense. <laughs> and then uh, I think when when um, Tom Hevron and Doug Hevron, Tom raced, uh, Doug yes. raced Indy and Doug broke his leg out there in practice. 
and Tom asked me to drive one of his cars. And Doug wasn't running yet, but he ran later on in the season, and I won about. I think I won, I won the championship in Hevron's car, yep. and then he, uh, we we raced together, and and they were just great friends. Uh, Doug Hevron just stopped racing recently, honestly, yeah. and uh, that's when I really came into winning a lot of races because he maintained the cars so well. He had a little parade and, and uh, you know, a lot of Mort and all those guys working on it. And it was just a wonderful team. And then Ed Bowley bought the cars and Tom Bowley and uh, Mark, you know, Mark Witten at Hendricks. Well, he uh, he worked on the car and uh, I drove that for three or four years and we won just race after race. And then I drove for a few other guys. Yeah, I remember Doug. I remember hearing Doug. Well, I remember Doug Heron's name from Cup Racing in the 80s and then he ran a little bit of xfinity stuff in the 90s i got into i racing and i see doug hevron's name mm. and he's a sim racer doug is and still does it today and i've chatted with him a little bit through that and then i read this book which he is in a bunch uh because he was very good at oswego as well and uh i remember when you and him were running to race his teammates together Teamed in the up. classics and stuff uh and when you filled in for him but um I've always kind of been fascinated by Doug and and uh, so Doug got a chance to go into stock cars and kind of test that out a little bit. Um, what was your opportunities and and we know you went to Indy and did that for a bit, but what was your opportunities with stock cars or did you ever have any passion to go there? Uh, not really. I I just was you know so good in open wheel. Yeah. And uh, I I loved the open wheel. I drove some modifieds, you know, but they were they were sort of like a like a super because they were open wheel also. And I drove a couple of late models, but I didn't go well in them. Yeah. It's too much crashing stuff for me, you know, like rub guys, push them out of the way and yeah. all. I just, you know, if you do that in a super, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. With an open wheel car, you got to be, you got to race with a whole different mentality, I imagine. You got to, you got to be, you know, eighth of an inch away, wide open. All the time. But if you touch, you're both going over, you know, and you can get hurt quite yeah. badly and wreck a lot of equipment. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, so you mentioned going into Gasoline Alley for the first time, right? So I want to talk about your champ car career, which fair, I think it's, it's about a five-year span. I know you got it hurt uh, in there um, once or twice, but how did you get the opportunity in 1970, I believe was your rookie year, and, and, you, and you were lights out. I mean, you were the guy. You were the, 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 the new young guy coming in. You had everybody's attention. How did you get that opportunity, and then what happened with it? Well, uh, I drove a sprint car for Skip Matzik, a guy from Connecticut, and we won some races. And then I uh, went to Thompson, Connecticut the end of the year with my modified, and I'd been in a bad wreck a couple weeks earlier, so I had, I think I had a broken hand, but I was still running. It was a 500-lap race, and I was leading it for quite a while, but we ended up screwing up a wheel and stuff. But he had a guy named Paul Young, who was Tassie Vadis's midget mechanic. Tassie Vadis was the car owner that I drove wow. for. 
and Skip introduced me to Paul Young, who introduced me to Tassie Battis, and he's the guy that flew me to Indianapolis. He owned a couple of Indy cars. Great guy, Greek, Greek steamship owner, you know, steamship lines and all that stuff. And uh, <laughs> he knew Onassis and just, you know, really like, holy crap, I'm with some, you know, wicked up people. But they were just so real people, you know, they weren't put on any of that stuff. So it was, it was pretty darn neat. And to walk through Gasoline Alley, he flew me out. I didn't have any money to fly to Indianapolis. And he flew me, I paid for my ticket, flew me out. Bill Finley, who was the mechanic, picked me up at the airport and we walked through gasoline alley like i said earlier i'm looking at this gas i'd seen it on tv and seen it in illustrated speedway news and stuff like that like oh my god i can't believe i'm walking through here and i'm going to go sit in an indy car because i'm going to drive it at uh, indy this year had you ever been near have you ever been next to a car before not an so when you walked up to the indy car in gasoline alley in no. the garage is the first time you've seen yeah. it yep did you look at that car and and did it seem different than what you'd been racing uh, I didn't know. It had a little four-cylinder Rafi, and I kind of yeah. I thought I kind of like laughed inside. Right. This, this will be easy. Yeah. You know, a little motor like that. I didn't realize it made a thousand horsepower <laughs> <laughs> with the turbocharger. <laughs> when first time I stood on it down in I think it was Trent, New Jersey. We went to Phoenix. And we couldn't get it running. We had problems. It was kind of a low buck team, but a good team. And Bill Finley was a great fabricator and mechanic and all that. And uh, so we went to uh, Trent, New Jersey, the next week. How big is that track? A mile and a half. It, okay. was, it used to be a mile, and they put the dog leg in. Yes. Going the, into turn. The backwards dog leg. Three, yeah. Yeah. Turn right and left. And yeah. Long yeah and you raced on that? Yeah. Holy smokes. And I raced on it when it was a uh, straight one mile okay. in sprint car. Yeah. I think, I, I or maybe it was Eddie Perkins's Roadster. I can't remember. And uh, It had to have been a weird track But they I hit, bent it. But I hit the gas in the in the turbocharged. I, I thought this was going to be a joke, a little eh, little tractor engine four cylinder, you know. Yeah. I <laughs> I touched the gas and holy crap, it's like sideways. Wow! I said this it's got some moxie. <laughs> <laughs> when do you do you remember going to Indy and driving your first laps? Yeah, um, Bill Finley was a great teacher, and he sent me out there for about four laps. And he wanted me to stay on the very inside of the track. And at that time, when you went as a rookie, you had to stay on the inside of the track. And that kept your speed down to like 110 because if you couldn't go up, you couldn't get the speed up in the corner. And so it just gave you a, a little bit of an education and yeah. a feeling. Then he had you come in, stay for, sit for 20 minutes or half an hour. Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> Think about what you've run, done. Yeah. Yep. Go back and run a few more laps at the same same configuration of the corners and stuff like that. How long of an afternoon before you're sort of free to do whatever you want to do out on the track? It was probably the second day. Okay. That's when you had the whole month. Yeah. You know, you had two weeks so of practice and all that. How Drive me around that track in that car. How much are you lifting? Uh, you, you used to lift because it didn't have the aerodynamics on it. Yeah. It was just a, when you, you know, lifted, did it just was it loose? Did it turned it kind of dirt track it into the corner. How did no, it drive? No, I, I think he tightened it up quite a bit yeah. so that you know you get you get the feel with the front pushing a little yeah. bit to so you get your butt behind you and you know, keep it behind you yeah. instead of having it pass you. And uh, when was, you're at the end of the back straightaway, is it is it wandering all over the track? Is it pretty tight? Is the steering tight? It what? was it was pretty. I mean, it, after driving all the cars I'd driven, it was it was sort of. It wasn't easy. It was yeah. definitely hard. Um, Foyt gave me a lot of help because Foyt was a good friend of uh, Bill Finley's. What he, kind of advice did he have? <laughs> he said, you know how he talks, well, Bantley, I, I, was, I slowed down for you. And he says, and I wanted you to follow me. 
<laughs> I said, yeah. yeah. Well, if I followed you, I would have followed you. I would have followed you, but I would have followed you into the turn and hit the fence. Yeah. I said, as fast as you were going, the car wouldn't, you know, turn the corner into turn three. Yeah. And uh, but it was it was really. Uh, Denny Helm took me around in a pace car to to show me the track, and he said, if you feel like you're going to hit the fence here, you're going fast enough. If you do hit the fence, you're going a little too fast. Yeah, it was just a great guy. Told what was it like when you were around other cars? Was the did the arrow change or? Yeah, when you really? when you were behind another car, it just kind of picked the car up, and the car just floated a whole, <laughs> you know, one groove up. Yeah. That's oh my God! Every lap. So, how did you deal with qualifying for the Indy 500? Were you nervous? Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure I was. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I was or not. Cause I was so concentrating on trying to run and we qualified 34th instead of 33rd. And so we missed the show right. the first year and my wife and I were sitting up in the stands and we had a pretty good time qualifying time on the first weekend and the second weekend it cooled down about Got 10 faster. degrees and oh, I'm looking at the times. I said, I don't think we're going to make this honey. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. So were you heartbroken uh yes but you know we've all been in those situations yeah. when you when you're leading a race and you break or whatever so it's just part of racing you gotta take your lumps yeah was it four laps yeah yeah, yeah hard four laps too right. i mean you don't breathe okay. <laughs> you don't breathe for four minutes <laughs> <laughs> i can't even imagine driving something like that and and trying to put i mean you know when you're driving a top two or three car the experience that that guy had trying to qualify for that race is so much different than what you had trying to push to get every little ounce you could out of that car just to get into the field. I think is the harder test or harder, more difficult thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Is trying to take a car that might or might not make the race and shove it into the race, right? With everything you got, uh, you're kind of putting your tail on the line. <laughs> You got a lot. You're putting your tail on the line a little bit more than the guy who's sitting there with the front row starting car. You right. know what I mean? He's just got to go out there and not destroy it, and he might get the pole. He might not. I, I watched um, Bobby, who just passed the other day. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was a great, great guy. Really nice man. A hell of a racer. I mean, yeah. he and Al and, and their son, baby Al, you know, just all good, good racers. Jerry Yuncer, you know, they're just yep. wonderful people, too. And uh, I watched him qualifying in one of Dan Gurney's cars. I think it was Phil Casey was uh, wrenching on the car. And we, we'd go up and we'd take, loosen the lock nut up on the, on the wastegate and go like half a turn or a quarter of a turn or three hexes. And I watched him. He loosened the, the uh, lock nut and he had a speed wrench. He's turned it in to get like, you know, 1,000, 1,100 horsepower. Yeah. And then Bobby has to go out and try to qualify with, you know, that much horsepower. That's a heck of a lot of horsepower. Really? And, you know, you... I mean, if we ever did it with some of the motors we had, we'd lose them. Yeah. They'd so, break. Yeah. How much did the situation change when you went back there in 71 and you did make the field? Well, I was driving um, Sam's po- Sam Posey's year before uh, Gurney Eagle car, and it was such a difference. It was just it was tremendous. We qualified 15th or something like that. The Sam Posey? Yeah. Did you talk to him about that before the race? Did yeah. You, did you get a chance he, to just... he and I were teammates in 70. <laughs> really? Yeah, and he had the Gurney Eagle, yeah. and I had the uh, the Finley. And so yeah. did he, was, like, because he's such a fascinating guy. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah? Really neat, neat yeah. person. I saw him up, up at the uh, museum in New England. Yeah. At uh, Dr. Dick's Museum. Sure. Just a heck of a guy. So, um, 
Mike was saying, in 71, you go back and you had a much better experience, a uh, little more speed in the car. And what was the difference in how the car drove? Uh, it was like night Did and everything day. better. It was, it was just such, you know, and, and they could go get the statistics from other cars, you know, what spring rates and what this and what that. And it just made it so much easier to go fast. Yeah. Did you feel like you were, you know, that you, could you see your future in Indy by that point? Are you thinking, I'm getting, you know, I love these cars. I'm feeling like I'm adapting to these cars. I think I was just, I just loved racing so much. You know, I just wanted to go. You always want to win. I yeah. mean, that's always been the goal of, I think, of any race car driver. You want to win. You know, just, you don't care. And if you're running 14th, you want to be 13th. But you don't want to stay 13th because that's bad luck. So you've got to get to 12th. But, yeah. you know, but uh, you're always trying to move ahead. And, you know, whatever you can do to get that one more position. So back in the uh, back in the 70s, you know, guys that ran at Indy and the Indy 500 and ran the Indy car often also ran dirt sprint stuff. I mean, they were racing every single week, two, three, four times a week. So as in comparison to today, Mike, where your guys that are running the Indy cars, they aren't running uh, the lo- local dirt track on, on Friday night or Saturday night or on an off weekend going running a sprint car somewhere. But you guys, like you say, you were – I guess you were you were trying to get opportunities in an IndyCar, but you also had multiple other things going on in your life that had your attention. Like, well, at that time, NASCAR and or USAC couldn't 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 cross over the line and yeah. go from you know if you were running USAC, you couldn't run an outlaw race or really you know a track at home or anything like that. And I think it was the same with NASCAR; you couldn't run someplace else. Didn't you get in trouble there running an yeah. outlaw race? What happened yeah. there? I got in an accident, throttle stuck, and I, that's time I ended up in the hospital at Star. And uh, you're at Star Speedway. Yeah, and uh, and what uh, you ran there a lot. Yeah, you liked that place. Well, it was close to home. Close to home. And, you know, I had different cars I could drive. Yeah, so it was it was enjoyable. Well, who was Ken Bell? <laughs> oh, that was me. <laughs> I can't remember. I think it was that. Yeah, it Ken was that Bell, track. Ken Bell was the guy that let you run outlaw races, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ran under an assumed name. Yeah. yeah. So, well, whose idea was that? Uh, probably mine. Because I knew I could. <laughs> I knew I couldn't race. You know, USAC. You and, wanted to run a USAC race. Well, I want. Or no, you wanted to run this outlaw race, and you I, I just get wanted you in to trouble. race. I wanted to race all the time. Yeah. And you couldn't. You know, I couldn't afford to go to the Midwest and every you, week, so I went. You, were you not nervous about getting busted? No, I thought, you know, that's You're fine. a pretty recognizable guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's not social media and everything going on back then, but I'm sure if somebody at Star Speedway saw Bentley Warren walking through the pits and racing, go out there, and you go out there and we win the race, it's time, you know, word's going to travel. Yeah, we, we were racing in Florida one time at Hollywood Speedway. I was got, uh, driving a Super from up north, and I was I was leading. And, Under uh, an assumed name? Yeah, and I can't remember what name it was. <laughs> Oh, you had I, multiple names. I you've won them. like, you've won hundreds and hundreds of feature wins, but no, but there's probably another hundred wins that's not counted <laughs> because <Ken> Bell or, yeah. <laughs> no, not that many, but right. a couple. But I told I told the car owner, I said, if I win this, I said, you get, he used to drive too, and I said, you got to put your fire suit on, come running out and take pictures. <laughs> I said, I'm gonna For run real? away from the the yeah, car and go in the pits. Out. Yeah, did that really happen? I didn't. I didn't win. We had you something. Did. I think we had a flat tire or something. But I was leading very, very well. I was. The car was running really, really. So, so great. you never won a race under an assumed name. I don't think so. Wow. 
I don't. Would think. you admit it if you did? That's the question that you and I got to. Yeah. Well, now I could. I wouldn't give a dime. Statue of limitations <laughs> yeah. is long past. So you just crash at Star Speedway, got you banged up, got you hurt, and that's how they found out. Yeah, yeah, because it was on the you know all kinds of news media, and uh, King was the president of USAC, and he called me up and said, "I'm so sorry about your accident, and this and that." And he said, "No, by the way, you can't run the USAC anymore." You're out, you know, you're out of USAC. Wow. Did they suspend you indefinitely? Yeah. Was that fair? Uh, well, naturally, it doesn't seem fair, and they don't do it anymore. Neither, neither, and none of the clubs, because they right. do, I, they, they, I think they know that you need to race as much as you can. I mean, I think the more you race, if you race five nights a week, and, and you, you're racing five nights a week, you're going to be that much better. Yeah. Well, how, how did you get reinstated then? Because you ran Indy 575. Yeah, I uh, went out and joined FIA, I think, or something like that. Got a super license? <laughs> yeah, some, some, some yeah. formula race yeah, Whatever license. they call that. Yeah. Jerry Glanville told us about that, remember? Yeah. <laughs> you uh -huh. got the silver card. <laughs> yeah. So that, that way I could run it Indy was kind of an, like Kind of like a circumvent the, the yeah, rule, if you their will. Their rules, yeah. And so now you're back in. Did they, did they do anything to try to – Argue your no after that. I think they. I think they calm down. Yeah, after that, I think they let people run other divisions. Yeah. Wow. Were you hurt? Like, were you? I mean, I don't know. You're physically hurt, but were you? How mad were you about that? Yes. Paddle life. Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, it's just no, no. What you, you I'm sure you cussed when you hung <laughs> up the phone. I'm sure you had a few choice words. Maybe <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. I just I couldn't believe what happened. I mean, you know. And I couldn't believe I was still in the hospital, and uh, yeah. you know they called me. I was in there for a few weeks, and uh, they called me and told me to call. How many times? Dick King. How many times was there ever a time? I guess when you're laying in a hospital or 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 sitting at home with a cast on a leg and an arm, where you thought I need to I need to I need to figure out how to stop getting banged up. Because I mean, <laughs> not that you crashed more than more than other people on average. You just raced so long, mm -hmm. and you ran hard. And you ran to win, and uh, you got hurt a lot. You know, you had a lot of injuries. Yeah, once was, in a while, but not. Was there? I know. But was there a point when you're like, because obviously there, obviously the answer to the question is there wasn't a point because you kept racing all the way till the bitter, you know, till you couldn't yeah. physically do it anymore. But um, I mean, was there ever a point when you're laying there in the hospital, like thinking maybe I, I need to change. My style, at least. Maybe not. I don't think you ever thought that you needed to stop so. racing. but I don't think so. I think I just remember when I got hurt in Toledo that time. I was in the hospital for a few months. And I, I had run Indy that year, and I had about ten grand or something in the bank or some something like that, which in 71 or something was a heck of a yeah. lot of money. And I said, I got to do something besides race. And that's when I bought an old dump truck and started. started. your business. Yeah, I said, I got, I got three kids and wife and you know, we got to buy food and we got to pay rent and all that stuff. House payment was fifty-two bucks a month. You know, that was a lot of money. I remember reading about <laughs> that in the book. Yeah, um, Bones wrote a book about you and you. So that was what was. Um, I was curious and and uh, trying to touch on a little bit earlier with your dad. Your dad had this. Uh, imagining your dad and what he was about, you just you don't seem to have. Uh, you didn't choose that life, right? You didn't choose that path. Uh, you wanted to race and do things your way and ride Harleys and, and own dump trucks. But you weren't afraid to work. You know, you weren't afraid to, 
to do whatever. And you did all, did a lot of stuff yourself, right? You didn't you didn't take help from your family. But here you t- talk about um, starting that business and why you had to start that business. What that business became. Well, I started it because, you know, like I said, you know, three kids and a wife and house payments. How old are you at this point, roughly? Mid-20s? Yeah, I think so. So you got three kids and you're married. How's... um, I think I was 30. 30? I think so. All right. So what had you been doing up to this point? Just uh, part-time work, like driving a truck for somebody uh, in the winter when I'm not racing. and uh, Hauling like 18-wheelers? Yeah. Yeah. And then I used to haul fish in New York City and stuff. And then I uh, used to weld. I had a, you know, welder and stuff like that. Yeah. So I used to weld in guys' dump trucks and tractors and whatever needed fixing or fix a car or, you know, whatever I had to do to try to make a buck. So you bought a dump truck. Yeah. And what'd you do with it? I ended up with about 50 of them in about 10 or 15 years. Really? It and what grew, was the grew, job? What did they do? Haul gravel. We yeah. hauled gravel and sand and stuff like that. How did and, it grow? I didn't even know what I was doing, but it just kept growing because I, you know, trying different things. Okay. And my father was very, very proud of what I did sure. with the trucks. You know, I mean, because he, he loved any kind of mechanical stuff. Yeah. So he he enjoyed the heck out of seeing me do it. You know, he saw me. I, I think I had a broken arm and I was building the building, you know, putting a steel building. I was hanging on with the, with the cast on trying to screw screws into a tin building. You know, it was just kind of neat when you, you know, you look back at the pictures and see the people and, you know, all yeah. that. You know, you wonder, but it was fun. Yeah. So that that was a good business for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my daughter runs it now, and it's it, still you know, going. It's going tremendously. She's doing, she, you know, <laughs> she's my, she's like a son. Yeah. You know. <laughs> my gosh. So, um, what made you want to open a saloon? Um, I've been riding motorcycles for years and years and years. And when uh, did you get your first street bike? Uh. Or it just seems like you've always had one. Yeah, probably when well, I was he started when he was seven. Yeah, <laughs> that was a dirt bike. I know it was, but still. No, that was a, that was a regular how was it? Yeah. Really? Oh <laughs> yeah, my gosh! Riding, riding around the field, <laughs> an old kickstart, you know. But yeah. it was a small one, and then I got a bigger one and stuff like that. But then, uh, I think, yeah, when I was when I got out of the army, I was twenty. I went in the army at seventeen, and you probably read that in the book. Uh-huh. That I sort of the chief of police wanted me to go in the army. He thought that'd be a good place for me. He was correct. <laughs> he needed to, you need to get out of his hair. Yeah. <laughs> Were you a bit of trouble, troublemaker? Is oh, no, you... I was a perfect child. Now, why would the chief of police actually want you to go to the military? Because something was wrong with I had a Model A Ford pickup, and I had a 41 Chevy and, and or a 41 just... uh, Dodge with a Chrysler remote in it. It just somehow it went faster than it was supposed to go. It just found its way in a race every now and again. I mean, there's no way to control those types the of things. Throttle was touchy. Throttle wasn't working right. Now. <laughs> so, like any of those problems, you send them to the military. That'll yeah. straighten them out. Yeah. Look what it did. It made a bigger racer. Yeah. <laughs> it came back even more fast. When did you open the saloon? I think 15 years ago. And and what was? Why did you do that? Well, I uh, actually when my wife and I were riding when we we're probably in our 20s and we'd go into a, into a restaurant to eat and we couldn't go that often because we didn't have enough money but maybe once a month we'd go out for a dinner or supper whatever you want to call it and uh we'd go to eat and they you'd walk into the restaurant and they wouldn't let you in they said oh no we it's res- reservations only and i said well those tables are reserved but i said those aren't and so we'd get in and i said someday i'd like to have a a restaurant a saloon or a restaurant or something that 
anybody can come into, not just who, you know, dress in a suit and a tie. If you just want to be a working person and you've got work clothes on, you should be able to go. Or if you're riding a motorcycle, because they used to think motorcycles were terrible. Yeah. And uh, so that's one of the reasons I wanted the saloon. And then being in Daytona a lot during the 90s, riding my motorcycle and going to Sturgis and stuff like that, I decided I really wanted to get a bar, and there was one right in front of my house. There was? So, yeah, it was hooked to my, my property, and I helped a guy named Randy out a few times. You know, just when he was in trouble, I'd help him out a little bit financially. It was and stuff. his bar. And it was his bar, and they ended up buying it from him. I wanted to be partners, but I could see partners wouldn't work because I knew they didn't work in marriage, so I think <laughs> they're not going to work in business either. So, so how's, that, how's the business of owning saloon been for 15 years? It's great. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. I haven't taken a cent out of it since I owned it, but we keep making it better. <laughs> My girlfriend runs it, and I got some great help up there, and it's just, you know, it's a fun business. I You can go up there and plug in a motorhome or a trailer. You also got little... Uh, park models and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Little places so pe- where you can Yeah, if people ride bikes up, they can spend the night there. Right. And then so you, or we, if you get just too drunk to go home. Yeah. So, well, you got somewhere you can sleep. Lisa calls it a stumble away from the campground. Yes. You know, the saloon's a stumble away. So It is. <laughs> I've never been. It's you want to go. <laughs> it's, it's definitely um, on my bucket list to go up there and get too drunk to leave. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I told you the story. I'll tell it again. When Dale Jr. was talking about, you know, we have our list of people that we want to have on the show. And then, um, you know, Bentley Warren kept being on it. And so, you know, Dale Jr., when he has uh, a person that he wants to have on our show, I always like to ask, you know, what what is it? Why is it? Just to know where his head's at. And he goes, because he has a saloon, and I, and I want to drink a beer there one day. And I'm like, well, we already hey, have that in common now. Well, see, Mike, that's right, you yeah. do. But like, so this is when I finally heard about Bentley Saloon, and man, that place. We did a Lost Speedways episode up in Arundel, Maine. That's where Bentley Saloon is. Um, it wasn't open at the time when we were up there, but this Bentley Saloon now, what we we've come to learn is uh, the spot to it's be. Open now, though, right? Yeah, yeah. you guys yeah. just had it. Open. We opened up two weeks ago. How often are you in there when you're in when you're at home? I just do PR work there. I just you're the you're the publicist. <laughs> Relations, relationships. Yeah. yeah, that's all it is. You gotta have you gotta people have to see you enjoying the product. Well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they won't. Yeah. YouTube videos with you karaoke and and singing on a stage is that from Bentley Saloon? If you saw him, it probably is. It is right. <laughs> probably. I'm gonna tell you something. You want to see you want to see an act. Yeah. Dale, Dale Jr. <laughs> Bentley Saloon's got a stage, and when they got this Johnny Cash house band come in here. I don't think Bentley can keep him, himself off the stage. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. I think the people love it, but I think I love it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never struck me as somebody that uh, had a difficult time finding a good time. Well, I, I try to enjoy life. How many you know. speeding tickets have you gotten out of? Uh, a couple, a few. No, really. No, no. Come on. <laughs> Let's, like, could, could it be? Could it be more than fifty? Oh my gosh! 50? Probably not that many. Yeah, maybe, maybe close. What? I'm telling you, Dale, guys. He gets out of stuff. He's got he's got a, a charis, uh, charisma. Yeah. He's got charisma about him. <laughs> he don't get scared with cops. He gets pulled over. They become friends. The cops end up drinking with him afterwards. <laughs> Am I wrong? Oh, it's kind of you're sort of right. Yeah. Usually, yeah, we, and he doesn't even play. I'm Bentley Warren. He they just knowing it. Is that right? Well, a little bit. I I had one cop stop me years ago, and I thought I was racing this. We were leaving work. We had a junkyard in New Hampshire. And it was about 9 o'clock at night. We hadn't been drinking or anything. Just I had a 61 Ford, and it was kind of a wreck. And uh, so I'm, I'm this Bob Pompey, he's, he was working for me, and he's 
got a newer Ford, like a brand new Ford. Like I can't remember what year it was, but it was probably a, I don't know, 65 Ford or 66 or something. And he's beside me, I thought. And I said, look at this son of a gun. He's keeping up with me. That car won't And I kept, you know, I had a big motor in this old police uh, police cruiser. It was a black car. And it was a piece of crap. And so I, I kept going. I said, son of a gun. He's keeping what the hell with him. I'll just leave him. All of a sudden, blue lights come on. I said, Pompey hasn't got blue lights on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> the cop stopped me. And he's giving me hell. And he said, I wasn't chasing you. He said, I was beside you. You're going a hundred and something miles an hour. And he hit the roof of the car. Well, I hit the headliner had been ripped out of the car. So the roof just fell in and he felt kind of guilty about it. But then he asked me for my license of registration and I didn't have a registration. And, uh, cause I had a, a fake plate on it or something, just a Good plate Lord. off another car. And, uh, he said, Bentley Warren, when he's looking at my license, save the speed for the racetrack. And he said, now i got to give you a ticket because he said, uh, I already called it in. I said, oh, geez. So Bob Pompey was behind me, and he passed me. He's waited down the road a couple of miles. He figured he's got to follow me to the Brentwood jail because I'm going to jail for sure. And uh, the cop said, well, I'm going to give you a ticket for three ball tires. I had, three, I had a <laughs> couple of ball tires and a snow tire on the front. And uh, so he gave me the ticket, and I remember I went to court, and the judge said, uh, did you rectify the situation? I said, Your Honor, I don't know what that means, but I said, <laughs> I put some newer tires on the car. I got them out of the junkyard. Oh, okay, case dismissed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is it true that you drove a police car, the one that pulled you over, you drove it back to the party that you I don't think from? I don't think I drove it, but that was at Oswego. Yeah, I read and, that in the book. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Yeah, so that was after a race, right? Yeah. yeah what and, happened there? Uh, well, the cop came up and... So you win the race. Yeah, and we were in the infield party, and, and finally they kicked us out because it was the classic, and it was a big race. And yeah. uh, So we went outside, and they closed the gates, and we were out in the street. and Late at water. night, middle yeah, of the night. Yeah, 10 Still or 11. Still going. Yeah, so, and it was an afternoon race, and it was yeah. over when it was light. So we're drinking beer. We had a bunch of beer because uh, Budweiser used to give us a 12-pack or a six-pack for every lap you led, and we led, you know, 150 or 190, oh 200. Oh, my gosh. So we had plenty of beer. Oh, my gosh. And we're, oh, wow. we're drinking, so the cop comes up with his, you know, and parks on the, on the, in the grass, and we're all by the uh, fence. And uh, he's up there, you know, you guys got to break this party up. You can't be here. You know, it's too late, and you're, you know, whatever. And I got in the cop car on the driver, on the rider's side, and I blew the siren, turned the lights on, and he comes running over. He said... I got to arrest you. You're just disorderly or something like that. And he says, uh, he, so he drives, starts driving away. People are throwing beer cans at the car. Was You're kinda, in it. Yeah, I was getting arrested. Bit, yeah, so he, he <laughs> said, I got to take you to jail. So he's taking me to jail and he calls in. He said, I got a something drunk, disorderly or whatever the heck he is, whatever I was doing. He said, I bring him to the police station. What's his name? He said, what's your name? I said, Bentley. What's your last name? Warren. He said, Bentley Warren. Turn around, get back. They'll have a riot up there if you don't bring them <laughs> oh, really? back. And then ended up uh, the 
the uh, chief of police got on the radio and said, uh, bring him down. I want to have him sign an autograph for me. <laughs> so they drove down. And then when we rode back up, I was blowing the sirens and everybody <laughs> cheering and hollering. That's hilarious. Was, the party was still going? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a knack for developing relationships with chiefs of police, I, I've seen. There's a common denominator, whether they're sending you to the military or they're calling you down yeah. to the station. <laughs> hey, uh, how did you, so, so you had mentioned um, to me about Dale Earnhardt and um, that he had helped you out and had talked good things about it. How did you and Dale Earnhardt ever cross paths? Uh, he was racing at Lee Raceway back when I was running at Lee Raceway and uh, Russ Conway, you remember Russ Conway? Well, he used to put on these races and bring uh, Richard Petty and yeah. uh, your dad up and uh, Tim Richmond, a bunch of good racers up there. And uh, he'd have a couple of the local guys racing against him. And that's how I met Dale at, at a racetrack, and he was really, really nice. Then I uh, owned Sandusky Speedway, so I had he and Bobby Ellison came out to race, and your father took him. He he's running a car number. I think it was a three car. I can't remember if it was Wrangler back then, but it was somebody else's car yeah. that they painted or vinyled it or whatever. I don't think they had vinyl back then, but they painted it his colors. And uh, he's out there running, and he came back in, and. Uh, jacked it up and he's under the car changed the shocks and springs and everything else he went out and led the race he didn't win i think maybe mark martin won the race but it was a hell of a race but he worked to to he was a racer yeah. you know i mean he was a real racer and he said the same thing about me to other people and he was just you know a real real good guy you owned sandusky yeah how long For five or six years what maybe. was owning a racetrack like um it was like owning a boat it's a hole in the water that you put money into. <laughs> it yeah. was, but it was fun. I mean, I built walls, cement walls and stuff myself and all that. And I had, the business was going very very well then. It was like in 1980s, 85, I think it was when I bought it. And it was the price was really right. And I had won a lot of races there. So I said, what the heck? Everybody says you own the track, so I might as well own it. So How I close is it. that to where you lived? Uh 800,000 miles, probably 1,000 miles. Good heavens. So, so why do you want to do that? find one closer? Yeah. I know. I'm just curious. Like, I, what, I, just, just, I just wanted to own a track. Did what and, you want. Yeah. You just I, did whatever you yeah. felt like doing? Yeah. So yeah. we did. So interesting. Wow. Man, I think I used to be that way. <laughs> yeah, you actually had a little stint at a track ownership. I used you? to just do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. It was a good life. <laughs> yeah. You got you got out of the track ownership about as quick as he did. <laughs> I think there's similarities. Yeah. It's uh track ownership is is not glorious. No, no you, it's, it's hard, especially when you yeah. if you if you can't be there all the time when right. it's running, it's just, you know yeah. and people try very, very hard to run it well, but it just doesn't work the same as if the owner's in the store. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So one of the things that I always thought was interesting, um, and it kind of is documented really well in this book here, um, you raced over so many decades, and looking at the technology of the cars and how that changed, how were you able to, you know, adapt to the cars? I mean, from 69, I mean, they were kind of, they were, it was run what you brung. Some of them were jalopies. Um they all look different. You know, um, Johnny Benson's dad would bring that tall stand-up car. Other guys would have these low-flung, down-on-the-ground cars. Everybody had some different approach to what would go fast and how to be fast. And um, the Blue Deuce, who was, whose car was that? 
How, the, the, the white that, douche with a blue number. Who, was that Purdy? Howard Purdy, yeah. Yeah, that car was kind of a – it looked like it had a high high roll center or, or high center of gravity um, compared to some of the other cars as the, as the technology – uh, change the cars get lower and lower and lower. Like Jimmy Champagne's car, is that how you pronounce his last name? Champagne. Champagne. Yeah. His car, like he had that one car that was super offset, yeah. right? How how did you continue? How do you stay competitive when the cars continue just change so drastically? Because in the super mods, you know, it, there's not many rules to really regulate change, and the cars just cra- got crazy. I, I think that. It's it's like when you're racing, you're driving the car balls to the wall, and you're just trying to get the most out of it. And when the when you had the little skinny tires on the front and the rear, you know the rears might have been that wide instead of that wide, yeah. and the, the less horsepower, but maybe more horsepower and, and crudely built. But you're and they you know they didn't have the the weight in the right corners, the spring rates and all that. But you're trying so hard to keep it on the track and go as fast as you can. I think it just you progress with how the cars progress because you're doing the same thing. Yeah. You're driving it beyond its capability, and that's what makes you win. Do you ever – this is something I kind of do a lot. Um, do you ever think back and one wish that you knew what you knew in the 90s back when you were racing in the 70s, like oh, technology-wise? Yeah. If yeah. you could have – because some of the stuff that you, we learn, right, you're like, God, if I could have had that in, you know, this particular period of my life, I would have been able to just destroy these guys. Um, do you ever think about that as far as the technology? Uh, not as much as I think about um, you, what you wish, you wish you knew what you know now back then in, in self-control and, and being nice to people and, you know, like you said, charisma and all that yeah. and – you know, I've got that. I mean, it's a natural thing. I think. Were you not my like parents. that all the time in the set? Well, I think I was, but I was wicked shy. You know. Really? Was, oh heck yeah. Shy. Oh wicked. <laughs> no kidding. I think I was. You yeah. know what I mean? I maybe you know maybe I wasn't, but I was, and I just concentrated on racing. I just my whole life was, you know, how can I go faster next week? Yeah. What do I got to do? What do I got to, you know, put a different tire on the car or a different shock or a different spring or. What's that? Why is that guy going so fast? What the hell's he doing? Yeah, you know, I know I'm just as brave as he is, or I think I am, and you know, I'm maybe a little more stupid, but you know, I just, I, I just wanted to go faster and faster, and yeah. win. You know what else he is? He's, he's humble. That's, oh yeah. And, and so when somebody's successful, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that. Yeah, you say you're shy. Maybe you've overcome the shyness, but um, when someone's very successful, but you're also very humble, I don't think you like to talk about all your successes. Is that fair to say? I guess not, because. Unless it, unless you need to throw that card out to the chief of police or something, maybe. <laughs> I don't. I, well, I do whatever I can with the chief of police. No, I got you. But seriously, whatever you got to do there, you got to do. Are, are you uncomfortable when you talk when people just talk about how uh, great of a racer you are when they compare you to the uh, you know some of the all time greats? No, it makes you feel good. I, it? It, it definitely does make me feel good. I mean, when you know when you, when Dale said you know he met his uh, whatever you said you know a great racer or something, meaning me. Well, that naturally from Dale Earnhardt, that makes you feel good. And, you know, just other guys that have said stuff like that, Foyt said stuff like that to me and other people have, and it, it definitely makes you feel good. It makes you say, I was rewarded for everything I've tried to do. It, yeah. It's a reward, and, it's, you know, it doesn't make my head big, but it, do, it probably does in a, some sort of a way. When you look back over your career and um, 
and think about all the things that you got yourself involved in. Are there some things you didn't get to try or get, didn't get to do? Was there uh, is there any form of motorsport that um, maybe you weren't interested in back then, but now are now that you're curious about, or maybe there's a part of uh, maybe a part of that indie experience that you wish would have went a different way. Um, not necessarily regrets, but is there something maybe that you didn't get to do? Well, I didn't win the Indy 500, and yeah. I wanted to, and I thought a few times I was capable of it, even though I never said it to people, but I think I could have had I sometimes paid a little more attention and been able to maybe been in that Midwest group more. Yeah. And or uh, with every, all the success that NASCAR is having with all the guys that I know that have run there, um, I, I look at them and say, wow, they've done so well and they've made a lot of money and done a great job and they have a great life and it makes me proud of them. And sometimes I think, gee whiz, I wish I had gone that route a little bit more. Yeah. But I, you can't do everything. No. And uh, I was trying to live and make the business and still race. And, you know, when I am racing, I race like this, you know, first. And that's all I want to be is first. What's your, what's your, do you go to the racetracks these days? Once in a while, I go to Oswego. I went out there. Otto suddenly just got my uh, 61 Junior car that I won a lot of races with. He got that running uh, this winter, and <laughs> it just made me so proud when he sh he sent me a video of it driving down the street with his son pushing him, and you know he's running down the street about 70 miles an hour in Oswego. And I just I'm looking forward to taking that maybe to Oswego because the Teresis have done a heck of a job with the track. Yeah, you know rebuilding it and, and running the track. And oh yeah. It's a it's a great racetrack, and you know my heart's into that track. So I'd like to go out and maybe run a couple laps just to, you know, Let to fans see it. Fans have yeah. the the seeing the car and Visual. maybe help their fan base a little bit. Yeah. Uh, when that happens, you got to let us know. That will be our first time at Oswego. Okay. I mean it. Okay. We'll, we'll make it, it won't be hard to get Dillner to go up there. No, he's a big, huge yeah. fan of that stuff. Yes, he <laughs> yeah. is. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean that. I'd love to come up and see you up there at Oswego because that, that's, that's, your, that's your home. Oh, that's yeah. your place. Well, yeah. we got to yeah. get to the boot, the saloon. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. We'll <laughs> go to the saloon. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll plug in there in the campground. You'll yeah. have us out there. That'll be fun. That'd <laughs> yeah. be, be cool. Yeah. That's a that's an absolute must. Been a treat having this guy here. Am I wrong? It, I mean, come on. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, being up being that you're up in Maine, I you know, we talked to Mark Martin and several guys and and a lot of guys that are all over the country and it's really hard to get them pinned down to get over here to Charlotte. So we kind of really appreciate you uh making the time on your trip from Florida. Uh you spent the night out there in the, in our in our parking lot with in your uh, coach. And uh, and I hope you enjoyed your stay. Um, <laughs> and chatting with Mike last night must have been a good time too. But um, <laughs> oh, we had fun. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, this show has been a great, great place for all of us in this room to talk to um, the legends. You know, these 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 guys that are are heroes. You know, and you're our hero. Uh, you really are. Um, I'm so glad that I got this book from my friend many, many years ago. And I'm so glad that I was able to learn about who you were and uh, become more and more curious about your life and who you are today. You know, um, you're, you're somebody, I think, that sets a great example uh, to enjoy yourself, live life to the fullest, and that your age is just a number and all those things, <laughs> all those cliches, right? Because I'm, you know, as a new father, uh, I'm, I got two little girls, I'm 46 years old, and I often wonder about 
what the rest of my life is going to be like, you know, and the quality of life I'm going to have. And you set an amazing example for somebody like me to be, to stay positive and to, to enjoy, you know, myself. And, uh, so I really appreciate that from you. And it's been an honor for me to, to talk to you, uh, to call you a friend. Um, I look forward to coming up North to visit and seeing what that, that neck of the woods is like learning a lot more about that type of racing from up in the Northeast. And, uh, we got to stop in Dick's museum. Haven't been there yet. Oh, you'll, you'll love that. He's he's done such a job. It's really amazing. Yep. He was just here a couple weeks ago telling us about it. So, um, we've got a, we've got a lot of things, uh, to plan out and, 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 and a lot of things to enjoy. Uh, but thanks for stopping in Bentley. Thank you. It's a dream for us. It was a dream for me, too, and uh, I saw your daughter racing in that little yeah. go-kart. That was so cute. Yeah. When she touched the gas, she said, wow. I'm sure she said, wow, this thing goes fast. Oh, yeah. That was, <laughs> that was fast for that her. Was, that was cute as heck. Thank I you, mean, man. that was really neat well, to see her. I hope she enjoys it. We're going to we're gonna see if uh, you know she wants to enjoy <laughs> running around in circles in that little thing for a yeah. while. But um and she'll know who Bentley Warren is. Trust me on that. <laughs> well, cool. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bentley Warren on the Dale Jr. Download. Thank you. Let's hear an important message from Valvoline. Hey, 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 stick around. Don't skip through yeah, this. Don't skip. Don't skip. This I is a, it's a new read. We saw that. This is a little different. They were going for the, they were going for the fast forward. Well, all right. So let me tell you about this new high mileage product Valvoline has. It's called High Mileage 150K, specifically formulated for engines over, you guessed it, 150,000 miles. You ever had a car with 150,000 miles on it? I've had a few. Hell, I bought them with 150,000 oh, really? miles yeah. on it. I, actually, I did too. I bought a farm truck. Yeah. For uh, for my place, my hunting land, I wasn't gonna buy no new truck to no. get torn up out there. Yeah, I got an old truck and she's still going. Yeah, the, the character. Yeah, well, and I'm cheap. You guys know that with high mileage engines, you're likely to experience issues, leaks, a lot of consumption. Yes, it uses oil, and there's wear, obviously, mm-hmm. especially with those older aging engines towards and upwards over 150,000 miles. That's exactly what Valvoline had in mind when they formulated High Mileage 150K. Their engineers used all the good stuff. We're talking about powerful detergents to minimize deposits and a new Molly additive package to reduce friction. And it protects those critical engine parts with 20% better deposit protection versus GF6 industry standards. Mm, you know that's good. Valvoline's new High Mileage 150K motor oil is proven to maximize engine life. Maybe you'll get another 150K. Maybe more. There's something special holding on to a car for several hundred thousand miles. And there's also something special about buying a car mm-hmm. that's already got 150,000 miles on it. special about you, yeah. Vavilene wants you to keep your prized high-mileage ride on the road for years to come. To learn more, visit highmileageoil.com. That's highmileageoil.com. Well, he finally made it to my favorite part of the show. Ask Junior, brought to you by Xfinity. Let's hear some of the questions sent to Xfinity Racing on Twitter. 
Yeah, um, about 15 minutes ago, uh, Dale Jr., you had some news break on Twitter. Uh, so you want to tell us what race you're running this year? I'm running at Richmond for uh, Unilever. Unilever's been a big partner of ours for many years with Hellman's and Ragu and Good Humor. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. Briars, they, 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 um, they have so many brands underneath that Unilever umbrella that have been a, been a part of our um, – our uh, our family here at Junior Motorsports. So uh, they have a new campaign, United for America, uh, to honor all the victims from 9-11. Uh, the race is on September 11th, so uh, we're going to have a great cool paint scheme uh, that me and Ryan Williams upstairs, our designer, uh, had a big part of putting together and creating. I uh, like to uh, run the short tracks, and there's only a couple to choose from. So I want to eventually maybe run Martinsville, and uh, that's still a plan uh, for me uh, going forward. But um, this year we're going to Richmond, and it's the second race, uh, second Richmond event, which is also a NBC event. So I'll be working uh, as a broadcaster on on the the Cup race, and we've done this before. I think a couple years back. Dang near won it. Well, yes. We let's no, we didn't. Yes, we you did. We finished fifth or something. Led the most laps. Yeah, I remember. We didn't have it at the end, but um, when. When I went to go, when I when I mashed the gas at the uh, on the last stage or near that last restart, um, our car didn't go like the rest of them. But it had some long run speed, and that's that's for sure. Hopefully, it's a good long run race because I think that's where my strong suit will be. Um, but looking forward to get back in the car and and know that track really well, really comfortable. I'm not as nervous about this one as I would be maybe Darlington or Homestead. Those are bigger tracks, and trying to start without any practice, no laps. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this will be the first Just time doing firing that. firing off after yeah. not being in a car for over a year, so should be pretty fun. Our next question coming from Dallas Gibson. Uh, what would be your perfect all-star race format and track? A lot of talk about the all-star race this past week. Yeah, you know, I don't know if there is a perfect scenario, but um, in my opinion, you know, you I don't know if there's a perfect scenario or a perfect track and a perfect format, but uh, we had a really great, we had a really great start to the All-Star Race when it came about in 1985. The first one in Atlanta wasn't very exciting at all. If you go back and watch it, that was the time when Bill Elliott's car was so dominant, and he just drove away, and and, uh, and there wasn't much of a race. So um, they brought it to Charlotte immediately. Um, they had a great, great uh, event. Darrell Walter uh, won the race very Harry Gant was really close in second place, and Daryl's motor blew going across the finish line, and everybody wondered whether he had blown the motor on purpose. Was <laughs> it an over, was it a big engine, and and was he trying to destroy the evidence? Right. Of course he was. Yeah. And so um, then you have Dad in in 1987 with Bill Elliott, a just a, an amazing event. Um, Rusty spinning Daryl Waltrip, I believe, in '89 or '90, mm-hmm. and um, maybe it was '91. I can't remember, but um, you know, then you had Davy Allison crashing across the finish line with Kyle Petty. 92. Yeah, 92. Yeah. Dad wrecking in turn three prior to that uh, at the, in the same race. Dad and Darrell Waltrip going into the wall off turn four. <laughs> yeah. Michael Waltrip winning is, is the, the, the Winston All-Star race that year. My own win. Something that I think, you know, those are all great events. Now, there were a couple in between those that I mentioned that weren't quite as exciting but still had good energy. 
And there was a common thread really amongst all of those, and that was the format. It was, uh, you know, they would change the first segment or the second segment, but it was always this 10-lap shootout, right, And uh, where the caution laps didn't count. There wasn't much, there wasn't inverting or anything like that. There was just, you know, show up, race, we're going to run, you know, 30 laps, 15 laps, 10 laps, or, or 30 laps, 30 laps, 10, you know, whatever it's going to be. But I would go to Charlotte, probably go back to the old format and run it just just like that. Just, you know, and just do it. And, you know, Bristol was okay. Everybody always wanted us to go to Bristol for so many years. Just, just go to Bristol. I was one of them. I just still go. am. It, we went to Bristol and it wasn't this. Yeah, but I still liked it. You know, it wasn't like this amazing discovery. But it, for some of us, it didn't have to be. Yeah. You know, just being in Bristol is event enough. Like it's yeah. uh, the, the, uh, Bristol's Bristol. Bristol's Bristol. You just got to appreciate it for what it is. Don't try to expect too much. Yeah, that's uh, kind of how I feel about it being in Charlotte all those years and 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 keeping that original format and just that's what it is. Let this race be what it is, and not trying to try to create it and bend it into something, yeah, twist the, it into something else. The best format is one that sticks for two years in a row and not changes every year. Uh, yeah. that, I mean, just stick with one and, and let us let us. Yeah. Learn to love it. Yeah. I read a little bit about the format for the current one coming up in Texas, and, and uh, yeah, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. No clue. I can't understand how they expect anybody to pay attention to all of that. No, I, mean, I didn't sign up for homework. No. It's, 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 uh, it's awful. But, um, yeah, next question. Next question from Ryan Cutshaw. What did you end up doing with your final cup car? Say again? What did oh, you, yeah. it's in my – it's at the house. I just saw it the other day. Me and me and Isla was messing around down there getting something out of the shop, and uh, it's sitting in there. It's just gonna hang out. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it uh, out of the elements and uh, just take just keep it close, man. Keep it close. Yeah. Next question coming from Higgy uh, with the next gen unveil tomorrow. What's one thing you hope that this car does for drivers and competition? Oh, good question. Oh man. Um, you know, I uh, I'm really anxious to see what straightening up the the rear tailpiece does. You know, where they move the tailpiece back to center of the of the car. Uh, if you look at Cup cars over the last probably 15 to 20 years, from the door number back on the right side, the quarter panels are straight, and it's because they moved the tailpiece over to make that quarter panel straight as possible to create as much side force on the car as possible, just like the trucks. The trucks are almost moved beyond straight, so the trucks kind of wing out on the right rear. And that's what the cup guys have been trying to create for years. But with this new car, they've sort of centered the body back up to where the body really is mounted symmetrically um, the way you might mount it for a road course. And so um, that's going to take away quite a bit of side force, I think, on, on the car and how the car reacts in traffic will change, how the car runs against the wall will be a little different. Maybe subtle. It may be a major shift. I'm looking forward to. I like that direction, like getting things back to stock, getting things back to symmetric measurements, getting things back to zero, letting the drivers, you know, have to drive the car and figure it out and be challenged. And so I don't know. You know that is really gonna. The car can be amazing. It really can, and it's gonna be. It's going to be determined by the aero package that it has on it, just like every other car that we've ever had in the series dating back as far as I can remember that the front splitter or valence, whatever ends up on the car, 
over time, and the rear spoiler is going to depend, uh, is going to you know control the racing. That and the tire, the the tire, what connects the car to the to the pavement. The tire is a very massive component and a huge responsibility as far as the visual race we see and whether we like it or don't like it. The tire plays a major role in that, how it reacts to the track, rubbers the track in, creates multiple grooves. So there's a massive responsibility for Goodyear to get that right and for the for NASCAR to get the aero right. Yeah, I mean, this could be an amazing car, but it could get, you know, if the aero's not, if you don't nail the aero, yeah, it could be bad. Next question coming from Bubba Fett watching live mm. on YouTube. It is Star Wars Day. <laughs> May the 4th. Um, May the 4th. Do you have a favorite Star Wars movie? I guess the original. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next question coming from Austin Hunter. Uh, do you have any tips for someone getting into spotting? Um, no. I, you know, spotting is a uh, – I did that one time, and I didn't like it. It's a So for everybody who wants to be a spotter, uh, I – a buddy of mine was like, man, I'm running my late model car over at this racetrack. Come help me spot or come spot for me. I'm like, oh, great. I'll come help you spot. That'd be fun. I was off that weekend. I think it was in between Xfinity races. So I go over to this little short track up the road and, and my buddy goes out and he's racing green flag. He's on the outside of the front row and um, he beats the guy on the inside uh, for the first lap. And so we're going down the front straightaway, completing the first lap and he's clear. And I'm told him going into the corner, I'm like, you're clear. And the guy dove in there <laughs> and hit him in the left rear, jumped, run over, hit him in the left rear, jumped his left front tire, went over the hood, <laughs> knocked the air cleaner off, <laughs> and crashed, right? Tore, tore the front, tore the left side off of the car, the whole hood, nose, everything off of the car. And I'm like, I guess that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> you think? So um, for all you people that want to be spotters out there, I didn't realize that, like, what an insane <laughs> responsibility you have. And plus, on the other side, like, when something doesn't go right, even though you know you had nothing to do with it, you're an easy target. Absolutely. Because, I mean, when, you know, when I'd screw up in the car, I'd absolutely go blame TJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'd jump on the radio and do it publicly. Yeah. And, you know, and you get a little annoyed, and the first thing a driver's going to do is yell at you, you know? Wake up! What are you doing up there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> shut up! Too much information. You know, so it uh, it's not glamorous. It's not, and you stand up. TJ's, you know, and he's not exaggerating. You stand up on top of that. You know, you, they put you up on top of the highest perch of above the grandstands. You've got no shade. Uh, so in them sunny days, man, TJ and all of them got long sleeves on, ninety five hundred degrees out. Wearing long sleeves, you know, covering their necks up and everything, trying not to get burnt, um, miserable. And they have to be up there all day. Mm -hmm. And you know, you want to you want to spot a cup car, truck, Xfinity. You want to do it all to make all the money you can throughout the weekend. And you're going to be on top of that building. All I, I would not want to do it. But anyhow, how do you get into spotting? <laughs> Most you know, of them are drivers. Yeah, but we're of, drivers. A lot of guys were drivers. Typically, a, a race car driver who's looking for a spotter likes to have a guy that's been behind the wheel, so he kind of understands what you know what you want to know. But basically, basically, it's I would I would say it's like anything else. Go to a local short track, walk around the pits, mm -hmm. offer your services. Say I've say give me a radio. I'll be glad to spot. Find somebody who's willing to take you up on that offer and get to work. Could iRacing be a 
tool to help with that as well? iRacing is absolutely a great place to 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 learn some spotting skills for sure all right guys all for today all right so that's some good questions yeah i uh hope you guys enjoyed it ask junior always a lot of fun appreciate xfinity for supporting this particular part of the show thank you for your support and you guys have a great week well, that part of the show seems to go by in a flash, Mike. You know it does. It always goes by quickly, but not nearly as fast as Xfinity X5. Well, Xfinity X5 is more than just fast, Mike. It's also reliable and powerful, meaning everyone can do more of what they love with faster internet. That's true. With Xfinity X5, you can do more of what you love with faster internet. You and your crew can stay connected with Wi-Fi coverage that delivers the speed your devices need. Remember, everybody, send your Ask Junior questions to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Thank you to Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. Last call. All right, last call, man. What a great show. A lot uh, of fun. Yeah, Bentley was awesome. And uh, hope to get him back in here. Uh, he's got so much of uh, history and and have to read in his book and everything he's just an amazing character and lives lived through so many decades man seen racing change and develop develop and evolve from the first car he drove it oswego to the last the way the technology changed is insane um the xfinity race and united for america number eight car that i'm gonna drive was unveiled yep uh today uh we'll be racing at richmond in the xfinity series on september 11th um pretty awesome to be able to get that information out there, I hate having to sit and wait on that because mm-hmm. we knew about I knew about where I was going to race last year, right? Yeah, I know where I'm going to race uh, next year yeah. already. Yeah, and I just hate not being able to tell people. And rarely do you actually wait till the actual announcement. Yeah. You usually just go I try to figure out how to l- how to I f- try to figure out how to tell everybody without actually telling everybody, mm-hmm. so I can't get blamed <laughs> for it. Wednesday, I'm going out of town. I'm going to Charleston. Uh, to the Naval Weapons Station on behalf of Unilever. They're going to send me, uh, Justin Algar and Josh Berry to go visit with some of our military. I am excited to do a personal appearance that's not on Zoom. <laughs> I, yeah. I How cannot about that? wait. Yes. So, uh, and also just to connect to the military, we've had such a great relationship with them over the years through our work with uh, the Navy and the National Guard. And also, you know, NASCAR's had a great connection to the military for most of its, its existence, so uh, should be a lot of fun for us. Uh, Friday, I'm going to Nashville. I'm actually going to go to the fairgrounds to take a look at the racetrack and, and do some media at the track itself. The Arkham Menard Series uh, is racing there this weekend. It's going to air on NBCSN next Friday, May 14th at 3 p.m. Eastern. All right. Uh, but they'll be practicing on Friday while I'm there at the track. I've got a couple other things in town in Nashville to do. Then Saturday, the following day, I'll be bringing the Nova to Darlington Raceway. Got to pace the field for the Xfinity race. We've talked about that, I feel like, every day for the last six months. Uh, the, race, the Xfinity race will be on Fox Sports 1 at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the Dale Jr. Download, this podcast, TV form, will be on NBCSN on Thursday at 5.30. 5.30. Go ahead and... and 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 get your get your TVs ready to record Thursday 5:30 NBCSN. Also, we regret to inform you a new episode of Door Bumper Clear is out. Uh, the Kansas Post Kansas TJ Brett and Freddie 
they have a heated debate over NASCAR's decision to not immediately call a caution for the tire in the grass. They could have all done it better, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. They, they could all run the sport better. Plus, they talk about the wild final restarts, the all-star race format, and they share why the next-gen car is changing everything. Boy, I want to hear that. Yeah. I might them. learn something. <laughs> Door bumper clear, available on all major podcast platforms. All right, everybody, have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon. This bit of badassery was badassery was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.